Blog Talk Radio.
of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikwe. Today is uh, Sunday, uh, April the 3rd, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, once again to yet another edition of uh, the Pan-African Journal. Later on in our program, I will be coming up uh, with our regular Pan-African Newswire reports, and uh, we'll be dealing uh, with dispatches on the recent briefing uh, by the Russian military on the situation inside of Ukraine amid uh, the special military operation. Tribute uh, has been paid uh, to the United Nations peacekeeping soldiers killed in the eastern region of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Estimates reveal as well that $2 billion was lost in the Somaliland market uh, place fire in Hargeisa. And 90 migrants uh, have been reportedly killed in the Mediterranean seeking uh, to enter southern Europe. In the second and third hours, we continue our focus on the 54th anniversary of the martyrdom of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on April 4th of 1968. We will look at the events surrounding the assassination and a national reaction to the death of the most well-known African-American leader in the United States. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. So stay tuned. Uh, We'll take a musical interlude uh, to the West African state of Mali with Ali Fakir Toure. Let's listen in.
mali darakana mali deunka daraja purawa
Sigar Pajabi Singit. Sanda alhasi di kiri na cahaya no kaga bainte
années de la souffrance, de l'amitié et de l'amour. Beaucoup sont disparus à moi maintenant de faire le mémoire. bonheur et ce malheur.
Welcome back. And uh, that was uh, the music of Ali Faka Toure and uh, from the West African state of Mali. And, of course, uh, that was from an album entitled Nia Funke. And right now we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment of our program. Our lead story deals with the current situation involving uh, the Russian uh, special military operation and intervention in Ukraine. Uh, Russia's aerospace forces have struck 51 Ukrainian military targets overnight. This is according to a report uh, from the TASS news agency. They say this includes two artillery clusters and two multiple launch rocket systems. Russian Defense Ministry spokesman Igor Konashevkov told journalists uh, earlier today, during the night, the strategic aviation of Russia's aerospace forces was struck uh, 51 uh, Ukrainian military facilities. They include four command posts, two launching systems of the OSA AKM surface-to-air missile systems in the vicinity of uh, Babankovo and uh, Slavyansk communities, uh, two uh, artillery batteries, uh, two multiple launch rocket systems, four field artillery and, mus- and missile warehouses in the vicinity of the communities of Konstantinovka and uh, Kristinsk as well as 32 defended posts and areas of concentration of the military equipment of the Ukrainian armed forces, he said. Russia's armed forces have eliminated an oil refinery and three fuel and lubricant depots near Odessa using high-precision sea and air launch missiles, Konashevkov told uh, the media. This morning, an oil refinery and three fuel and lubricant depots that were supplying fuel uh, for the group of Ukrainian troops in the Nikolaev direction were eliminated using high-precision sea and air launch missiles, he stated. Russia's armed forces have eliminated 125 warplanes, 88 helicopters, and 383 drones since the beginning of the special military operation in Ukraine, Russian Defense Ministry spokesman told journalists. In all, Uh, Since the beginning of the special military operation, 125 warplanes and 88 helicopters and 383 unmanned aerial vehicles, 221 surface-to-air missile systems, 1,903 tanks and other armored combat vehicles, 207 uh, multiple launch rocket systems, 805 field artillery armaments and mortars, as well as 1,781 units of special military automated equipment have been eliminated, he said. According to him, today the air defense systems of Russia's aerospace forces shot down two Ukrainian drones in the vicinity of the Kudyashkovka and Sharonka communities. Also uh, involving uh, the Ukrainian-Russian conflict, No civilian casualties were reported in the Ukrainian town of Bucha when it was controlled by the Russian armed forces, but the U.S. media ignored the Ukrainian military's shelling of the city, uh, which followed the withdrawal of Russian troops. Uh, Russian ambassador to Washington, Anatoly Antonov, said in response to a Newsweek question, he said that the Russian defense ministry has fully rejected these false accusations. He noted, uh, commenting on reports 
of Russian troops allegedly killing civilians in Bucha. I would like to point out that Russian troops left Bucha on March 30th. The Ukrainian authorities remained silent in all these days, and now they have suddenly posted in sensational footage in order to tarnish Russia's image and make Russia defend itself. Antonov said, I would like to emphasize with full responsibility that not a single civilian suffered from violence when the town was controlled by the Russian armed forces. On the contrary, our troops delivered 452 tons of humanitarian aid for civilians, Antonov stressed. Meanwhile, the fact that the Ukrainian armed forces shelled the town of Bucha uh, right after Russian troops had left was deliberately ignored in the United States. This is what could have caused civilian casualties. That said, the Kiev regime is clearly trying to blame its atrocities on Russia, he added. The Russian Defense Ministry said earlier today that the Russian armed forces had left Bucha, uh, located in the Kiev region, on uh, March uh, the 30th, uh, while the evidence of crimes emerged only four days later after Ukrainian security services officers had arrived in the town. The ministry stressed that uh, on March 31st, the town's mayor, Anatoly Fedorik, had confirmed in a video address that there were no Russian troops in Bucha. However, he did say a word about civilians shot dead on the street with their hands tied uh, behind their backs. And uh, other news uh, related uh, to uh, the question of NATO expansion in Eastern Europe. According to an article uh, in the Global Times uh, in China, it says that we have not yet created the security architecture that would address the situation change after the collapse of the Berlin Wall. The war in Ukraine is the consequence of this political failure, and that's according to former German Chancellor Gerhard Schroeder, said this during a recent tour in Turkey. Within the framework of strategic autonomy of the European Union, the biggest challenge for the bloc to, to establishing a new European security framework is NATO, uh, which is currently dominated by the United States and the UK. Provoking geopolitical crises, uh, hyping up political issues that are legacies of the Cold War, which are based on so-called democratic values and strengthening the Eastern European countries, hostility against Russia have become the trump card for NATO in order to maintain its tight grip on Europeans as the EU is thus far unable to provide the continent with effective security guarantees, relying on the U.S.-dominated NATO has become an inevitable option for most European countries. The U.S. has long sought to infiltrate Central and Eastern European countries ideologically and politically. Meanwhile, the European Union lacks political unity, exploiting this structural weakness within the EU to incite smaller Eastern European countries to disrupt the European Union's strategic planning is a tactic often used by the United States and the United Kingdom governments. The UK and the US share a highly consistent stance to weaken the unity of the EU. Since the outbreak of the Russia-Ukraine conflict, the UK has proactively intervened. It rushed to the forefront, trying hard to incite Central and Eastern European countries such as Poland to provoke a confrontation between Russia and Ukraine with the purpose of inflating the strategic cost of major European countries, including Germany and France. Therefore, how to deal with diplomatic constraints from the Anglo-Saxon countries, such as the U.S. and the U.K., 
is a core issue for the EU to face when it comes to a European security mechanism. Establishing a new European security framework has become the most urgent strategic task uh, for uh, the European Union. And uh, in regard to energy resources, Genoa News Agency says that with Russia's ruble payment for natural gas taking effect just on Friday, the clock is ticking for Europe to grapple with the looming gas cutoff threat, which should not only make the bloc face an unprecedented blown, full-blown energy crisis, but could also create a ripple effect manufacturing, logistics, and other services sectors undercutting European gross domestic product by about 1% to 2% and even lead to a political crisis analysts are predicting. Moscow said that gas will continue flowing with the payments for supply from April 1st due to be paid uh, by the end of the month or early May, given uh, respite to Europe's whose leaders insist they will not comply with the ruble payment decreed by Russian President Vladimir Putin. Analysts said that the choices left for the bloc are limited, as the alternative liquefied natural gas shipment from the U.S. cannot cover demand in the short term, and Europe is also severely lacking in LNG-receptive infrastructures. These dire consequences seem to be very ironic, as Washington stands to pocket huge profits from the Russia-Ukraine conflict while the interests of its European allies are compromised or even sacrificed, observers said, pointing out that, the Europe, that Europe could become one of the biggest victims of the United States advancing its global hegemony. Putin announced that the ruble payment for natural gas purchases for unfriendly countries took effect uh, on Friday. Under the new rule, foreign buyers would need to open special ruble and foreign currency accounts with Russia's God's Prom Bank, GJSC, to handle payments. If account payments are not made, Russia will consider it a default on the part of buyers and halt supply, orders reported. European leaders have rejected paying with the ruble, which they said violates existing contracts, while Baltic country Lithuania uh, said on Saturday that it has fully abandoned Russia's gas imports. Other European countries have yet to make clear what their stance is or backup plans are. According to a Bloomberg report, European buyers are looking for clarity on how the new system will work. The German government was reportedly studying the details. Denmark condemned the move, uh, and French ecology minister Barbara Pompeo said she didn't see the request as a breach of contract as companies would still be able to pay in euros uh, while the political wrestling would linger and European leaders may align uh, to bolster their hard political stance against Russia, analysts predicted that there may be some easement on actual practices. For example, some European countries may apply for exemptions via the EU mechanisms, or there may be some difference between the government's tough stance and how EU energy firms handle the payment. Kui Hajian, director of the Department of European Studies at the China Institute of International Studies, told the Global Times on Sunday. In other news, um, the Congolese authorities and the United Nations mission in Congo paid tribute to eight peacekeepers killed in a helicopter crash uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo earlier this week. The crash kills six Pakistanis, a Russian, and a Serb. 
The helicopter was on a mission carried out in the North Kivu, in the east of the country, an area where clashes have taken place in recent days between rebels of the M23 movement and the Congolese security forces. The UN has launched an investigation into the incident as both sides blame each other. As we remember our peacekeepers, we continue, uh, we cannot ignore the many soldiers and civilians, including women and children, uh, who have fallen under fire, which continues sadly to resound in eastern Congo, declared at the ceremony taking place in Goma. Bentu Keita, representative of the United Nations Secretary General in the Democratic Republic of Congo, said, The determination and will of the armed forces of the Democratic Republic of Congo and MUNUSCO troops in the face of the various losses of human life will be the motivation for the next mission, said uh, Gilbert Kabanda, the Congolese Minister of Defense. On Friday, the rebel group declared a unilateral ceasefire, claiming they were ready to talk with the government in Kinshasa and wish for a peaceful settlement of the conflict. We remain faithful to our political line, which is to reach a peaceful settlement uh, to the crisis with the government. Uh, the Congolese Revolutionary Army reserves the right to retaliate vigorously in the event of a new war initiative by the National Army or its auxiliaries. Announced the announced Willie Ngoma, uh, M23 uh, spokesperson. The group was defeated by the National Army in 2013, but took up arms again last November, asking for the demobilization and integration of its combatants, as promised, they say, by the government. The Congolese authorities haven't yet reached, reacted uh, to the peace settlement that has been suggested. And uh, many uh, people who have been forced out of the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo have been reluctant to return after fighting between the National Army and M23 rebels erupted earlier this week uh, in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. Thousands of Congolese uh, fled to neighboring Uganda. Now Kinshasa is asking them to regain their villages, but people are reluctant Caring for their life, uh, UN High Commissioner for Refugees say about 10,000 people have already crossed the border. A few days ago, the rebels retreated from positions taken on the road leading from Goma, the capital of North Kivu, and Bunagana on the Ugandan border. It was near Bunagana uh, that a UN helicopter crashed for reasons that remain unknown uh, as of Tuesday, uh, killing eight peacekeepers. I was living in Bunagana, uh, where I was selling hemp. I wanted to go and sell my business in a village near Unyoni, and that's where I was shot, and here I am in the state, says Steka Jr., injured in the attack and lying in a hospital in Rushuru. Many other civilians uh, who didn't leave the country rushed to Rushuru, uh, where they found precarious shelter in schools and churches. The rebels are still in our villages. It's too complicated to go back because we can't live there. There may be other clashes, and we will be uh, the victims. On top of the 10,000 refugees already in Uganda, according to the United Nations, about 36,000 civilians have been displaced within the Democratic Republic of Congo. You're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. In other news... In Somaliland, a massive fire in an expansive market in the capital of Somaliland uh, destroyed property 
worth up to $2 billion U.S. billion, according to local officials in the autonomous region of Somalia. At least 28 people were wounded uh, in the Friday night fire that ravaged Wahine Market, a major source of livelihood for the residents of Hargisa. The loss on the eve of the holy month of Ramadan sparked despair among many at home and solidarity efforts among outsiders who say they will help Somaliland and rebuild the market. A preliminary report released by a national task force looking into the fire estimate losses between $1.5 billion and $2 billion. The cause of the fire is yet to be determined, but some traders in Hargisa said they believe a bad electrical connection may have been the cause. The disaster has united Somalis with President Mohamed Abdullahi Mohamed of Somalia reaching out to Somaliland's leader, Moose Bihi Abdi, in a rare phone call between the two. Abdi, who has been Somaliland's president since 2017, has been pursuing international recognition of his territory, self-declared independence with Somalia, uh, based in Mogadishu, opposes. Saddened to see the aftermath of the fire in Hargeisa with such destruction in the open market, uh, I that uh, is the economic heart of the city, affecting many small and family enterprises. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson said this in a tweet. Your city will rise again, and the U.K. will do what it, we can to support Somaliland's rebuilding effort. Some in Hargisa who spoke uh, to the international press said the fire shattered their livelihood. It's a major hit on the first day of Ramadan, as so many of us rely on this market uh, to make our ends meet, said businesswoman Hodan Ali, who lost property in the inferno. Describe Wahin uh, Market as a one-stop spot for the needs of Somalilanders. Strategically located by the Gulf of Aden, Somaliland territory of more than 3 million people broke away from Somali in 1991 as the country collapsed into internecine conflict as well as foreign imperialist intervention. Despite lacking international recognition, Somaliland has maintained its own independent government, currency, and security systems. The region has largely succeeded in holding regular elections over the years, including parliamentary polls that were held last year. And finally, more than 90 people in an overcrowded boat drowned in the Mediterranean Sea. That's according to a prominent humanitarian group. And the latest tragedy involving migrants departing from North Africa to seek a better life in Europe. Doctors Without Borders said late Saturday the migrants were on a vessel that left Libya last week. It was unclear exactly when the boat ran into trouble, said Juan Matthias Gill, the group head of mission. The group, also known by its French acronym, Médecins Sans Frontières, MSF, that an oil tanker rescued four migrants earlier Saturday in international waters. Uh, the survivors reported uh, that they were on the boat along with about 100 other migrants, it said. The M- MS, or the Doctors Without Borders, said the tanker did not respond to its calls not to return the migrants to Libya, where they will almost certainly face detention, abuse, and ill treatment. The group urged Italy and Malta uh, to assign a place of safety for the survivors before it is too late. 
It also called for the European Union Border Protection Agency, Frontex, and other EU agencies to reveal the details of the incident. Migrants regularly attempt to cross the Mediterranean from a North African nation in a desperate attempt to reach European soils. The country has emerged as a dominant transit point for migrants fleeing war and poverty in Africa and West Asia. Human traffickers in recent years have benefited from the chaos in Libya, smuggling in migrants across the oil-rich country. Lengthy borders with six nations, the migrants are then typically packed into ill-equipped rubber boats and set off on risky sea voyages. Around 300 migrants died or were presumed dead along the central Mediterranean route between January the 1st and March the 28th of this year. According to the International Organization for Migration, about 3,100 to Libya. Once back in Libya, the migrants are typically taken to governmental detention centers rife with abuse and ill treatment. In 2021, at least 32,425 migrants were intercepted and returned to Libya. At least 1,553 are presumed to have drowned last year, according to the International Organization for Migration. Investigated commissioned by the United Nations' top human rights body found evidence of possible crimes against humanity committed in Libya against migrants detained in the country. And with that, uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. We want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998, and since then it has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to have access uh, to uh, today's uh, Pan-African Journal, the special worldwide radio broadcast, all you need to do is just go to our website, and uh, that is at uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. And, of course, by logging on to uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal, not only can you have access uh, to today's program uh, for Sunday, April 4th, as well as um, Monday morning, um, Sunday, April 3rd, and Monday morning, uh, April 4th, uh, 2022, um, you can do that, and uh, you can share uh, these uh, episodes with other potential listeners uh, via email, uh, through blogs and websites, and on social media networks such as uh, Facebook and Twitter. And you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide uh, radio broadcast. And uh, we'd like to uh, take a break, uh, and we'll be back with more of our program for this week.
Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, the music of love uh, from uh, their fourth album entitled uh, For Sale. And uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, the special worldwide uh, radio broadcast. And uh, we are going to continue our commemoration of the 54th anniversary of the assassination of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, right now we're going to bring you some rare archival audio files on the assassination of Dr. King and uh, the actual assassination in the uh, minutes and hours following uh, the announcement of the assassination uh, in Memphis, Tennessee on April 4th of 1968, uh, 54 years ago uh, today. And of course, uh, we are here uh, to bring you this information uh, where, of course, uh, in many cases, you won't even hear uh, anything about uh, the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. Of course, his birthday is a federally recognized holiday and has been since 1986. However, the assassination uh, remains shrouded uh, in mystery as far as the U.S. Uh, ruling class, uh, law enforcement and intelligence services, as well as the uh, corporate media are concerned. Uh, let's listen in uh, to these uh, reports from 1968. From the WCTO Radio News Bulletin, this bulletin just in, Dr. Martin Luther King was shot outside a Memphis hotel this afternoon. His condition was not immediately known. Once again, Dr. Martin Luther King was shot outside a Memphis hotel this afternoon. His condition was not immediately known. Stay tuned to WCTO Radio for further details. The 620 Sports is brought to you by Swanberg and Susie Buick. We'll have the weather with Dick Enroth in just a moment. Further details on the Dr. Martin Luther King incident now. King was shot outside a Memphis hotel this afternoon. His condition was not known immediately. Police put out a wanted bulletin for what they described as a young white male, well-dressed. They said the man was seen running from a brick building across the street. The shooting took place near the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis, where King's car was parked. Police said King was sitting in his car when the shot was fired. Officers raced to the scene and surrounded the car. Other units roared into the area and surrounded the hotel. Early reports indicate police had recovered the weapon used in that shooting. King was in Memphis, Tennessee, leading garbage strike marches. His march uh, last Wednesday burst into violence that left one dead, 62 injured, and 200 arrested. And he had planned another mass march for next Monday. Police said the assailant dropped the weapon while running down the main street about one block from the shooting. They said the assailant apparently jumped into a late model car after the shooting and sped away. So Dr. Martin Luther King shot outside a Memphis hotel this afternoon and as yet his condition not immediately known. Stay tuned to CCO Radio for further developments on that story. Now the weather, the weather story, official weather. We interrupt this program for a CBS Radio Net Alert Bulletin. This is Douglas Edwards, CBS News, New York. Civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. was shot at a downtown Memphis hotel shortly before 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time this evening. A direct report now from Memphis, Frank Gardner of WREC reporting. Dr. Martin Luther King has been shot and wounded, possibly critically wounded, in Memphis, Tennessee this evening. Police describe a young, well-dressed, medium-built white male driving a white Mustang 
shot at and wounded, possibly critically wounded, Dr. Martin Luther King at his motel room in the downtown area of Memphis this evening. Dr. King reportedly was hit in the face. The extent of his injuries are not known at this moment, but one observer at the hospital, at St. Joseph Hospital here in Memphis, told this reporter Dr. King apparently had been hit and was wounded badly. He was hit in the face, and the last report was being given oxygen. He entered the hospital emergency room with his face covered with a towel. The exact extent of his injuries not known at this time. Apparently, the man responsible for the shooting of Dr. King here in Memphis this evening has not been apprehended. This is Frank Gardner in Memphis. A hospital spokesman has told CBS News that the condition of Dr. Martin Luther King is critical. This is CBS News in New York. This is your good neighbor to the Northwest with Studio St. Paul, Minneapolis at 830 WCCO. Once again, Dr. Martin Luther King was shot outside a Memphis hotel this afternoon. His condition now reported as critical. Stay tuned to WCCO Radio for further details. We'll have music on the go coming up in just five minutes. Civil rights leader Martin Luther King has been shot in a downtown Memphis hotel. Police say that King was removed from the hotel where he was shot and taken by ambulance to a Memphis hospital. No immediate word on the extent of his injuries. However, CBS radio just a short time ago reported his condition as critical. And that shooting occurred shortly before 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Police put out a uh, wanted bulletin for what they described as a young white male, well-dressed. And they said the man was seen running from a brick building just across the street. That shooting, by the way, took place near the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis where King's car was parked. Police say that King was sitting in his car when the shot was fired. The officers raced to the scene and surrounded the car. Other units then surrounded the hotel. And early reports indicate the police had recovered the weapon used in the shooting. The man apparently dropped the weapon after running and then jumping into a late model car and speeding away. So that is the latest word on the uh, Dr. Martin Luther King shooting in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. And we'll keep you right up to date on that story. We've had so many late-breaking developments here in the last week. And you'll hear all the news, complete, authoritative, and concise, right here on 830 WCCO. Checking the tread depths on tires, chemically analyzing transmission fluids, and determining the accuracy of speedometer. Now this late bulletin from the WCCO Radio News Bureau. Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., 1964 Nobel Peace Prize winner, an America's leading exponent of nonviolence in the civil rights struggle was shot to death Thursday night, according to Assistant Police Chief Henry Lux. This just into our WCCO Radio News Bureau. Dr. Lark Martin Luther King apparently shot in the back of the neck while standing on his hotel balcony late today in Memphis, Tennessee. Police rushed to the civil rights leader and then rushed him to a hospital in critical condition. And the word just in now that Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., Nobel Peace Prize winner, has died in Memphis, Tennessee. Keep tuned to WCCO Radio for further developments. The time now is 20 minutes after 7 o'clock. In the Twin Cities, we have 30 degrees. We interrupt this program for a CBS Radio Net Alert bulletin. This is Gary Shepard, CBS News, New York. Civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King died tonight in Memphis, Tennessee after being shot in the face by an unknown assailant on the balcony in front of a downtown hotel a short while ago. Associated Press says Assistant Police Chief Henry Lux of Memphis confirmed Dr. King's death. Reverend Dr. King, winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, was 39 years old. He was in Memphis to lead demonstrations in sympathy with a prolonged strike 
by municipal garbage men, most of them Negro. Police at last report were still looking for a young white male who was seen running from the scene of the shooting and reportedly dropped the weapon in flight. Frank Gardner, a reporter for CBS station WREC in Memphis, speaks of talking with a surgeon at the hospital who has been in contact moments before with an associate of Dr. King who was in the pediatrics division of the hospital. The surgeon, who was a friend of the other doctor, said they told him that Dr. King died about 15 minutes ago. We repeat, Dr. Martin Luther King, America's nonviolent civil rights leader, shot and killed tonight in Memphis, Tennessee. Gary Shepard, CBS News, New York. At this time, we resume the regular program schedule from other studios on this CBS Radio Net Alert station. You can take Salem out of the country. The news is breaking fast, and you're right there with CBS Radio Net Alert and WCCO Radio, where you hear history as it happens. Unfortunately, some rather bad history tonight. We'll keep you uh, abreast of late developments here on CCO Radio. 23 minutes now past 7 in the Twin Cities, 30 degrees. Simon and Garfunkel. Dr. Martin Luther King was shot to death in Memphis tonight. The news of King's death was announced by Assistant Police Chief Henry Lux. King was shot as he stood on the balcony of a Memphis motel where he was staying. Police say two unidentified men were taken into custody several blocks from where King was shot. The executive vice president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the Reverend Andrew Young, says the shot hit King in the neck and the lower part of his face, and Young added, he didn't say a word, he didn't move. King was rushed to St. Joseph's Hospital immediately after the shooting, and he was declared dead at the hospital a short time later. Late news from Memphis, Tennessee this evening. Some very, very bad news. In uh, the sports scene tonight, from Studio St. Paul, Minneapolis at 830, this is WCCO. And now, the world tonight with Gary Shepard. This is Gary Shepard, CBS News, New York. Civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King died tonight in Memphis, Tennessee, after being shot in the face by an unknown assailant on the balcony in front of a downtown hotel a short while ago. Associated Press says Assistant Police Chief Henry Lux of Memphis confirmed Dr. King's death. Reverend Dr. King, winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, was 39 years old. He was in Memphis to lead demonstrations in sympathy with a prolonged strike by municipal garbage men, most of them Negro. Police at last report were still looking for a young white male who was seen running from the scene of the shooting and reportedly dropped a weapon in flight. Frank Gardner, a reporter for CBS station WREC in Memphis, speaks of talking with a surgeon at the hospital who has been in contact moments before with an associate of Dr. King who was in the pediatrics division of the hospital. The surgeon, who was a friend of the other doctor, said they told him that Dr. King died about 15 minutes ago. We repeat, Dr. Martin Luther King, America's nonviolent civil rights leader, shot and killed tonight in Memphis, Tennessee. Gary Shepard, CBS News, New York. The world tonight will continue in a moment. We interrupt this program for a CBS Radio Net Alert Bulletin. This is Daniel Shore, CBS News, Washington. The Reverend Martin Luther King has been shot and killed in Memphis, shot as he stood alone on the balcony of his hotel, and he died soon afterward in the hospital. We are now standing by at the White House for a statement expected momentarily from President Johnson. And while we wait for him to appear in the rain-swept streets in front of the White House, 
delaying his own arrival at a dinner for congressional Democrats, we will give you some of the details. The police in Memphis have issued a bulletin for a young white man who was seen darting out of the building across the street from the hotel where the Reverend Martin Luther King was staying. Dr. King's chauffeur said that he was standing on the street when Dr. King strolled out onto the second floor balcony moments before he was to leave for dinner at the home of the Reverend Billy Kyles, a Negro minister. Jones, the chauffeur, said that King told me to stop the car. He was ready to go to dinner. I said, said the chauffeur, it's cold outside, Dr. King. Put your top coat on. And he said, okay, I will, and he smiled. And those were his last words. I heard the gun, said the chauffeur. Dr. King fell on his back. He had been looking directly at the man. The identity of the man is still not known. There have been reports that two white persons have been picked up. It is not clear from these wire service reports whether they had any connection with the assassination. The Reverend Andrew Young, who is the executive vice president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which was headed by Dr. King and which was planning a march on Washington on April 22nd on behalf of poor people, said that the shot hit Dr. King in the neck and the lower right part of his face. Dr. Young said he didn't say a word, he didn't move. Immediately after the shooting, the civil rights leader was rushed to St. Joseph's Hospital where he was declared dead a short time later. Police armed with rifles have blocked the front entrance to the hospital to hold back a crowd which gathered there quickly. Dr. King had come to Memphis only yesterday to take charge of the continuing demonstrations in support of the city's striking garbage collectors. A march which Dr. King had led last Thursday erupted into rioting in which one person was killed. And now Dr. King had planned another march for next Monday. National Guard troops have rushed to Memphis to quell last week's riot, but they have not been on hand since. Governor Ellington has been alerted that Dr. King has was shot, and he was conferring with Memphis authorities and state officials. No decision was announced immediately on whether the National Guard would be returned to Memphis. As we reported previously, the police in Memphis have put out a wanted bulletin for a young white male, well-dressed, who was seen running from a brick building across the street from the hotel where Dr. King's car was parked at the time of the shooting. It is now reported that police have been chasing a late-model blue car through Memphis and north to nearby Millington. They reported a civilian in a car with a citizen's band radio had closed on the car and had opened fire on it. The microphones have been set up in front of the door to the White House, and a White House aide has said that President Johnson will come out momentarily to make what is expected to be his statement on what is perhaps the most tragic assassination since the assassination of President Kennedy. We were speaking earlier to the office of the SCLC, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference here in Washington, which was planning the Poor People's March on Washington for April 2nd, where they reported that they were in a state of such shock that they would not comment immediately. Stokely Carmichael, the head of SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, had planned a news conference to, for tomorrow, first canceled, and now he says he will go through with the news conference. This is perhaps one of the acts which may help to weld together the divided Negro community. The reports still coming in from Memphis say that the 
shot fired at Dr. King apparently came from a brick building across the street from the hotel. There were three white males in the car which the police have been pursuing. More than a hundred police and sheriff's deputies have sealed off a five-square block area of Memphis around the hotel. Hundreds of spectators have been flooding around the cordon. Here in Washington, the FBI says that it is, it is investigating the shooting at the specific request of Attorney General Ramsey Clark. The reports coming in from Memphis indicate the Negro community in a state of shock. The Reverend W. Herbert Berger said, Oh my God, oh my God. In Atlanta, the wife of Dr. King prepared to fly to Memphis immediately. I was just told he had been shot, she said. The report I got was in the shoulder, and he was in serious condition. Later, it turned out that Dr. King had died in the hospital. It was, incidentally, the same hospital where James Meredith was taken after his ambush wounding in Hernando, Mississippi, south of Memphis in June 1965. Dr. King, as we said, was in Memphis to lead a massive march on Monday to prove, in the face of last week's riot in Memphis, that he could conduct a peaceful march. His attorneys had gone to court on Thursday to challenge a federal court ban on that march. They said that his march would be orderly and peaceful. The arguments which were being heard by U.S. District Judge Bailey Brown had continued late into the day. At the request of the city, Judge Brown had issued a temporary restraining order preventing Dr. King, his associates, or other outsiders from staging a march in Memphis. A demonstration led by Dr. King a week ago caused violence or resulted in one death, 62 injuries, and more than 270 arrests. The first comments from the administration here in Washington has come from Vice President Hubert Humphrey. He said tonight that the assassination of Dr. King brings shame to our country. He predicted that the slaying of the civil rights leader will bring new strength to the cause for which Dr. King had fought. The Vice President said, and we quote his statement, Martin Luther King's death is a tragedy and a sorrow to his family and to our nation. The criminal act that took his life brings shame to our country. An apostle of nonviolence has been the victim of violence. The cause for which he marched and worked will find new strength. The blight of discrimination, poverty, and neglect must be erased from America. An America of full freedom, full and equal opportunity shall be his living memorial. That is a statement of Vice President Humphrey. We are expecting now a statement from President Johnson. That statement, we were told, will come in about two minutes from now. As we have reported, the Reverend Martin Luther King has been fatally shot in Memphis. And tonight with a first statement already issued by Vice President Humphrey, President Johnson has delayed his departure for a Democratic congressional dinner in order to make a statement on his own behalf. The President is scheduled tonight to leave for Honolulu by way of California, where tomorrow he is to confer with former President Eisenhower. In a period of rapid surprises and shocks, this is the latest 
to disrupt the schedule of the President and, his, and the schedules of many of us. The lights glare on the door of the White House. Presidential News Assistant Robert Fleming has said that momentarily the President is expected to make a statement. The microphones are set up in the rain. The reporters are waiting. And soon we expect to hear the voice of the President. President Johnson had known Dr. King. They had seen each other often. He had once advised him at a news conference that it would not be wise for him to prepare this march on Washington. It appears now that there is some delay in the President's statement. We will return to hear the President. Meanwhile, this is Daniel Shore, CBS News, Washington. At this time, we resume the regular program schedule from other studios on this CBS radio net alert station. This is your good neighbor to the northwest with Studio St. Paul, Minneapolis at 830 WCCO. This is Douglas Edwards, CBS News, New York. We now switch you to Washington. This is Daniel Shore, CBS News, Washington. We are awaiting momentarily a statement by President Johnson at the White House on the fatal shooting of Dr. Martin Luther King in Memphis. Dr. King was shot as he stood on a hotel balcony as he was preparing to go out for dinner. At the White House, the microphones have been set up, there are floodlights on the door, and President Johnson is now about to appear. America is shocked and saddened by the brutal slaying tonight of Dr. Martin Luther King. I ask every citizen to reject the blind violence that has struck Dr. King who lived by nonviolence. I pray that his family can find comfort in the memory of all he tried to do for the land he loved so well. I have just uh, conveyed the sympathy of Ms. Johnson myself to his widow, Mrs. King. I know that every American of goodwill joins me in mourning the death of this outstanding leader and in praying for peace and understanding throughout this land. We can achieve nothing by lawlessness and divisiveness among the American people. It's only by joining together and only by working together can we continue to move toward equality and fulfillment for all of our people. I hope that all Americans tonight will search their hearts as they ponder this most tragic incident. I have canceled my plans for the evening. I am postponing my trip to Hawaii until tomorrow. President Johnson speaking from the White House. The plan that he canceled was his plan to attend a Democratic congressional dinner here in Washington tonight. And as you heard, he will delay his trip to Hawaii tomorrow, but apparently still intends to go to Honolulu for his meeting with American leaders coming in from Saigon. That was the President of the United States on the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. Daniel Shore, CBS News, Washington. And uh, that was uh, news reports... Uh 
coming out uh, from uh, Washington, D.C. and other areas of the country, including Memphis, uh, in uh, the immediate aftermath of the announcement of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. And you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, this special worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Sunday, uh, April 3rd, and the early morning hour of Monday, uh, April 4th, uh, 2022, we're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We're going to hear some additional reports uh, from the following day, uh, April 5th, 1968. Uh, Of course, uh, there was sharp uh, response uh, to the assassination of Dr. King. Uh, Rebellions erupted, mass demonstrations in over 125 cities uh, throughout the United States. Uh, these reports uh, from uh, the following day, April 5th, 1968, captures uh, aspects uh, of the national outrage over the assassination of Dr. King. Let's listen in. This is Douglas Edwards, CBS News in New York, with a special report on Martin Luther King, The Aftermath. This is the day after Martin Luther King died, and the American Negro community is clearly angry, often uncontrollably angry, over his murder. In the CBS newsroom in New York, it's difficult to keep track of all the cities where sporadic violence has occurred in Negro sections since the bullet of the unknown white gunman cut down the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King in Memphis, Tennessee, yesterday. Let's begin this special report with a look at those places where the disturbances seem most severe. The CBS radio affiliate in Chicago, WBBM, reports five people dead from burns and bullet wounds in an outbreak of arson, sniping, and looting, mainly on the Negro West Side. CBS newsman Jed Duvall saw the Chicago story unfold today. It began this morning in Chicago when thousands of Negro schoolchildren failed to show up for classes and apparent reaction to the slaying of Dr. King. And now it has come to this. The incessant and urgent chatter heard on the two-way radio of a fire engine parked in the heart of the burning and looting on Chicago's west side. Perhaps half the fire engines in this city are out fighting fires in a 16-block area. Through the day, the children who stayed out of school roamed the large, dismal, crowded black sections of Chicago. More and more often through the early afternoon, windows of stores were broken. Police were challenged and taunted. During the evening rush hour, it became a full-blown riot. Looting reports came in one on top of another. On Warren Street, we watched a young man carrying a shopping bag stuffed with fresh meat, steaks. He stumbled, spilling the bag to the pavement, nearly at the foot of a police officer. Neither the officer nor the looter paid any attention to the other. The loot was scooped up, and the youth walked away. Restaurants and stores throughout the city closed early. Many office workers, apparently sensing trouble, went home in mid-afternoon. Shortly after dark, the olive drab of the Illinois National Guard was first seen on the streets in the riot area. 6,000 guardsmen had been alerted during the afternoon as the vandalism and looting reached alarming proportions. By the time Mayor Daley was on television appealing for calm and order, several buildings on West Madison Street were ablaze. Countless scores of stores all over the city had been looted. One factor on the side of the police is the cool weather. Chicago expects lows in the 20s tonight, and that might help. It's much colder than it will be in July. Jed Duval, CBS News, Chicago. Police in Detroit report an 18-year-old Negro youth was shot and killed tonight while being arrested with 19 other youths for what the police describe as looting. 
For the general picture in Detroit, site of the worst riot in the nation's history last summer, here's Jim McQuarrie of CBS radio affiliate WJR. Listening to police radios here in Detroit, one is jerked backward in time to the humid July days of last year when the nation's worst riot was in progress. The significant difference this time, the city police, state police, and National Guardsmen are on the job at the very beginning. Last night, Detroit, like all American cities, was too numb to act or react to news of Dr. King's death. Today, some overreaction. At mid-morning, the first violent acts were reported as small gangs of youths roamed the still-riot-scarred sections of Detroit, throwing bricks, bottles, and rocks through windows. The activity was unorganized, and there were no injuries at that time. Early this morning, squads of state troopers moved into Detroit to beef up the city police. Detroit Mayor Jerome Cavanaugh declared a state of emergency this afternoon and clamped a curfew of 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. on the city. Sales of liquor and gasoline were stopped. At this hour, one accidental shooting in suburban Highland Park as police were arresting looters. There have been three non-fatal shootings, one policeman injured, and four civilians. No details are being released other than the cold statistics. Governor Romney flew into Detroit late this afternoon. Tonight, he and Mayor Kavanaugh toured Detroit and both agreed that the preventive police and National Guard effort has been successful in buttoning down large-scale violence at least up to this point in time. There is still the weekend to come. This is Jim McQuarrie in Detroit. Some of the worst trouble of the day occurred in Washington, D.C., the very heart of the nation. Tonight, the White House and the Capitol are surrounded by federal troops. They were brought in on the orders of President Johnson. For a late report on the situation in Washington, we go to CBS newsman Tony Sargent. At least 4,000 National Guard and federal troops are in this uneasy town tonight, and more stand ready. Most are equipped with M16 rifles, helmets, and gas masks. Some tanks have been brought in. 1,000 city police are on duty. In many of these streets, the troops and police are the only visible figures, but in others, looters still roam, adding to the so far uncounted number of items hauled from broken store windows in this town starting as early as midday, as close as two blocks from the White House. At least 100 fires have been ignited. Several are burning out of control at this hour, but overall the fires are diminishing. One just opposite me, here in the Negro part of town, is now being brought gradually under control by Washington firefighters. Hey, how you doing? This is James Lewis. All right. Right. Police report having made more than 600 arrests, with over half these still in custody. Three deaths have been reported so far. Walter Washington, the mayor of this city, imposed a curfew at 5.30. As that curfew fell, thousands of motorists were choking the streets, heading towards suburban homes, weekend holidays, or just outward for the sake of it. The tourists have also been leaving in droves. Airlines report jammed ticket counters. One thing they came here for has been nipped in the bud by these riots. The annual Cherry Blossom Festival that would have climaxed this weekend has been canceled entirely. And even the opening day baseball game, originally set for Monday, now has been postponed at least one day. Tony Sargent, CBS News, in the riot area of Washington. Memphis, Tennessee is, of course, the focal point. The past 24 hours of tragedy and the ensuing violence began there. And for a late report from the scene, here is CBS News reporter Ed Rabel. While other American cities are seething with unrest, Memphis, the center of tension following the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., 
has thus far been spared major outbreaks of violence. There are different explanations for the lack of violence here. Police say their show of force is responsible, while Negro leaders credit their influence in the Negro community as the deciding factor. Despite all this, Memphis has had problems. Frank Holloman, the director of public safety in Memphis, made this statement earlier today. The looting and sniping and arson activities in Memphis has tapered off. It has lessened, although there is some sporadic uh, activity still going on at the present time. Reports of sporadic looting and rioting are still coming in tonight, but a curfew enforced by 4,000 National Guardsmen and police tactical units is generally being obeyed, and for the most part, Memphis is calm. Ed Rabel, CBS News, Memphis. The nation's first major riot since World War II took place in Watts, the Negro district of Los Angeles. But that area is generally quiet tonight, as we hear from CBS News correspondent Bill Stout. One surprise in this day of anguish and turmoil was the reaction in Watts, the Negro ghetto of Los Angeles, scene of the first of the big city riots. A surprise because, so far at least, there has been virtually no trouble. Several schools were dismissed early, some before noon, and thousands of young people crowded the streets and the sidewalks and the parks, but there were no riots, no looting, no cars overturned. An incident here and there, to be sure, but nothing like the bloodbath of three years ago. Partly that's due to the restraint of news people and police. Unlike the riot time of 1965, this situation brought no rush of armed officers and cameramen and reporters into the middle of the ghetto. Several investigations since then, from Watts to Harlem and Newark, have produced evidence that news coverage alone can add to the trouble. But this time, the news teams held back, the police held back, and Negro leaders, militants and moderates alike, moved in to try to head off the trouble. So far, thanks to the calming elements and to the people themselves, there has been little or no trouble, though, of course, it could change in a matter of minutes. Other effects in this area? Senator Eugene McCarthy canceled the rest of his California and Oregon campaign schedule. He'll return to Washington in the morning. And looking ahead to the Oscars, the Academy Awards ceremony Monday evening, four Negro stars have canceled out. Sidney Poitier, Diane Carroll, Sammy Davis Jr., and Louis Armstrong. But all this is precautionary. So far, no violence. Bill Stout, CBS News, Los Angeles. National Guardsmen were also on alert tonight, or states of emergency declared, in Philadelphia, in Nashville, in the state of Mississippi. The Philadelphia story at last report was only isolated vandalism and scuffling between black and white teenagers, although it's a sad commentary on the passage of Martin Luther King to hear ourselves saying only isolated vandalism. In New York City, it's unexpectedly quiet in the Negro quarters such as Harlem or Brooklyn's Bedford-Stuyvesant, but in the Times Square area, crowds of Negroes were reported on the street, smashing windows and looting inside them. The day after Martin Luther King was murdered started with lingering unrest in the nation's Negro ghettos. As it proceeded, there were events sufficient to keep Negro reaction at a fever pitch. Dramatically, the center of attention was still in Memphis, where King's body still lay, and where his top assistant, the Reverend Ralph Abernathy, spoke over him in a memorial service. I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. 
I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Reverend Abernathy, successor to Martin Luther King at the head of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and the crowds shuffling past King's coffin. Abernathy and the crowds followed King's coffin to the airport, where a New York newsman, Tony Brunton of WCBS, recorded Abernathy as he sought to restrain the mourning crowd. We have pledged to you that we are going to carry his work forth. Now let us not do anything at this particular time that will discredit his life. He lived so nobly. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. Crowd moving back now, away from the under the wing of the aircraft, to the request of the Reverend Abernathy. We shall National Guardsmen, fixed bayonets, behind them helmeted city policemen with shotguns, submachine guns, and rifles, pushing the crowd back from time to time, asking them to move back for their own protection, as the police said. Now they have moved back at the request of the Reverend Ralph Abernathy, the man who will be taking over from Dr. King as leader of the Southern Christian Conference. He asked them to move back. On the plane, chartered incidentally by New York Senator Robert Kennedy, was a grieving widow waiting to escort her husband's body back home to Atlanta. There, there were more Keening followers at the airport and still more at a downtown funeral parlor where the body was taken to await the funeral. It will probably be next Tuesday with King's father, the Reverend Martin Luther King Sr., presiding. Back in Memphis, there was still the hunt for the assassin. No one was reported in custody, but law enforcement officials were confident that someone soon would be. Confidence expressed by U.S. Attorney General Ramsey Clark who quickly flew to Memphis from Washington to announce the full resources of the FBI were behind local and state policemen. Clark saw no evidence of a conspiracy. Police have an alarm out for one man, dark hair, medium build, between 26 and 32 years old, and, of course, white. As it was for the average citizen, this was also an upsetting day for President Johnson. There were the necessary rituals proclaiming Sunday a national day of mourning and ordering all flags on U.S. facilities down to half-staff until King is buried. But the day had deeper, more somber meanings for Mr. Johnston. CBS News White House correspondent Robert Pierpoint sums up the day from the presidential viewpoint. Tonight from the front lawn of the White House, he could look one direction and see the dark smoke from the fires billowing overhead, another direction to the red glow of the fires themselves. From the back lawn, he could see the silent soldiers with their so far silent guns. For a president, 
who has done more than any other in recent history for the Negro people. It was a bitter sight at the end of a dismal day. President Johnson sensed the danger last night as soon as word came of Dr. King's death, and he moved to avert it. By dawn, he had a dozen civil rights leaders moving toward the White House for a midday meeting with top administration and political leaders. The president pleaded for calm, and they agreed, but told him action was needed as well. Action long delayed to bring the Negro Americans into their full heritage. The president then announced he would speak to a joint session of Congress Monday night. We must move with urgency and with resolve and with new energy in the Congress and in the courts and in the White House and the State House and the city halls of the nation. Wherever there is leadership, political leadership, leadership in the churches, in the homes, in the schools, in the institutions of higher learning, until we do overcome. Late in the afternoon, after the civil rights leaders had left, President Johnson announced he had canceled his trip to Hawaii to plan Vietnam's strategy. Instead, General Westmoreland is flying to Washington. Meantime, the violence and the arson and the looting worsened to the point where a saddened president was finally forced to call in federal troops to protect the nation's capital from embittered fellow Americans whom he had tried to help. Robert Fairpoint, CBS News, at the White House. On the state level, President Johnson was emulated almost to a carbon copy by a man many insist is still a potential Republican candidate for the White House, New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller. Rockefeller appeared on statewide radio and television tonight. He officially proclaimed Sunday a state day of mourning, and he ordered flags on state facilities flown at half-staff. He also announced he'd send a special message to the legislature in Albany next Monday, urging swift passage of social welfare bills, saying Americans must redeem their honor not with words but with deeds. There will be fighting in our streets so long as there is fighting in our hearts. Black citizens can pay no tribute to this man of peace with bricks or guns, only with courage and dignity that he proudly expected from his people. And the white citizens can pay no tribute to this man of peace merely by weeping upon his death, only by honoring, at last and in full, the principles of brotherhood for which he gave his life. I shall send to the state legislature this Monday a special message urging that such deeds quickly become law. There already is before the legislature a series of measures vitally affecting the lives of all our Negro citizens, jobs and health, housing, education and training. The enactment of these measures will give witness to our profound vow, our vow not merely to talk, but to act, so that Martin Luther King's dream of America becomes the life of America. Robert Kennedy interrupted his campaign for the Democratic presidential nomination today, but he did keep a speaking engagement at the Civic Club in Cleveland not to speak about politics, but instead to denounce the senseless violence that struck Martin Luther King down. Victims of the violence are black and white, rich and poor, young and old, famous and unknown. They are most important of all human beings whom other human beings loved and needed. No one, no matter where he lives 
of what he does can be certain who next will suffer from some senseless act of bloodshed. And yet it goes on and on and on in this country of ours. Why? In another part of town, Cleveland's Negro mayor, Carl Stokes, was eulogizing Martin Luther King at a memorial service. You can kill a man, but you cannot kill an idea. And the idea and the ideals for which Dr. Martin Luther King stood, for which he lived, and for which he died, will continue to live in this country, will continue to live in this city. And despite the sorrow upon, under which all of us today feel so heavy, there will on the morrow be a resurgence of the confidence that he was right and that we will overcome. Like many another public official today, Cleveland's Mayor Carl Stokes had tears visible in his eyes as he stood to eulogize the late Reverend Martin Luther King. comes next. The main moves are probably with President Johnson when he speaks to Congress next Monday night. What will he call for? Another reporter on the CBS News White House beat, correspondent Dan Rather, has some thoughts. What the President wants to propose to Congress Monday is a great leap forward for social justice. An open housing bill, certainly. But it is spelt here, there must be more than that. Mr. Johnson has been talking to civil rights leaders by the dozens, white and black, but mostly black, in the White House, by telephone, and through intermediaries. The black leaders have many suggestions. Most cost money, much money, and that's the hang-up. Whitney Young, director of the National Urban League, for example, has revived the idea of a domestic Marshall Plan, a huge spending program in decaying urban areas, jobs and housing on an unprecedented scale for the black poor. Caught in the fiscal vice formed by spiraling war costs on one side and skyrocketing deficits on the other, Mr. Johnson's options are few. Quick passage of the open housing bill and a stepped-up program for jobs cost the least. They are likely to get the heaviest emphasis in the Monday speech to Congress. Then, rather, CBS News, the White House. The wide range of reaction to Dr. King's death generally had one element in common, emotion, indicating this was one of those momentous incidents that hit most of us where we really live. Consider two statements from polar extremes. One from Jacqueline Kennedy in New York, who herself lost a husband to an assassin's bullet. The president's widow says she weeps for Mrs. King and her children and prays we'll now find more room in our hearts for love and justice. Mrs. Kennedy makes it difficult for us to sit passively in self-righteous condemnation of King's assassin when she points out, some people would never kill, but even to speak of another with hatred is the same and causes death. The former First Lady also adds, 
When will our country learn that to live by the sword is to perish by the sword? This in contrast to black power militant Stokely Carmichael, who in Washington today said, White America declared war on black America last night. As Carmichael saw it, there is no need for a lot of intellectual talk now. That's all over. We will wait, but only until we can get enough guns. What is needed now are guns and more guns. The judgment of Stokely Carmichael. The American tragedy of Martin Luther King's murder has brought an outpouring of universal reaction. Pope Paul VI urged calm and respect for the principle of brotherly love. Great Britain's Parliament expressed horror at what it termed this brutal and senseless murder. In Africa, where King was a hero, his assassination brought praise for the man from statesmen and predictions of widespread violence in America's cities. UN Secretary General Uthant, now in Geneva, sent a message of sympathy to Mrs. King. A similar message went to the bereaved widow from Sweden's King Gustav, who presented the Nobel Peace Prize to the civil rights leader back in the year 1964. Another CBS News Washington correspondent, Eric Severide, was one of those with tears in his eyes as he recorded this evaluation of that noted American, Martin Luther King. We have all been told that we live in a bland and cautious time and are bereft of heroes. We have been told that our generation is as embarrassed in the presence of the noble as our ancestors were embarrassed in the presence of the base. The life of Martin Luther King denies the first assumption. The reaction to his death denies the second. Almost surely, he was the most important American of his time, white or black. He, more than any other man, wielded the cutting edge of history for this time and place. He preached love, so hate, of course, destroyed him, as it destroyed 2,000 years ago the man whose gospel he followed, as it destroyed 20 years ago in India the man whose strategies he adopted. Saints are usually killed by their own people. Dr. King was not. He was not an American Negro. He was a Negro American. As Dr. Abernathy once said of King, he seeks to save the nation and its soul, not just the Negro. King grasped a white man by his shoulder, forced him to turn around, and looked long and hard upon his fellow black American. To some, the sight was frightening. To many others, the landscape of our lives looked richer and full of much greater promise. There are those who proclaim that white society killed Dr. King. Democracy cannot function under such a theory. To blame everyone is to blame no one. Only the Hitlers of this world and their spiritual kin, like young Mr. Carmichael, believe in mass guilt and in genocide as justice. There are those who proclaim that this is a sick society. It is a society containing many sick individuals, white and black, including the moral invalid who fired the shot last night. It is doubtful if this nation has ever before gone into officially proclaimed mourning its flags everywhere at half-staff over the death of a private citizen, and this man was a descendant of slaves. This is not the reaction of a sick society, but of a fundamentally healthy society trying desperately to cleanse itself of the one chronic persistent poison in its body. So the label on his life must not be a long day's journey into night, it must be a long night's journey into day. This is Eric Severide in Washington. Now tonight, the vast majority of Americans, black and white, are holding their breath and hoping the poison works its way through our systems quickly and as painlessly as possible. 
As an outspoken voice for civil rights, Negro entertainer Sammy Davis Jr., speaking in New York to CBS News reporter Josh Darsa, was one of those urging moderation on his companions. I plead, if there's ever been a black brother or a sister that's ever heard me and felt that maybe I had something to say, I beg them to hold their emotions in check. We cannot desecrate what this man stood for. I think that the, the man who goes out and loots at this point is maybe only two steps lower than the man who shot down King. The black man said to me, I am so angry with my country, I am so upset, and I want to burn down the ghetto that I live in. I can emotionally agree with that, but if he tells me I want to break down a liquor store and loot a liquor store or steal shoes, then I think we're defeating everything that this man stood for. And I think that now is the time for the militant leaders to say, all right, baby, let's hold ourselves. Let's, you're angry, you're mad, man. Let's hold it now and see if Whitey's going to come up with it. Will Whitey come up with it, and will U.S. Negroes wait until he does? These, the questions black and white Americans are asking tonight, both factions poorer, now that Martin Luther King is no longer around to help find a peaceful... And uh, that was uh, news reports, uh, radio reports uh, from the day after the assassination of Dr. King, April 5th, uh, 1968. And you're listening to the Pan-African Journal, the special worldwide radio broadcast. Uh, we are here uh, early Monday morning, uh, April 5th of 19, April 4th of uh, 2022. Uh, we're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'll take a musical interlude and uh, we'll be back uh, with our concluding segment uh, of our program
Music from uh, Rotary Connection, the new Rotary Connection, uh, the tune entitled Black Gold of the Sun from 1971. And our concluding segment uh, continues our theme of this program on the assassination, uh, 54th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Here is a replay of the CBS Evening News uh, from April 5th of 1968 as uh, the country erupted in mass demonstrations and rebellion. Let's listen in. Direct from our newsroom in New York, in color, this is the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite and Eric Severide in Washington, Steve Rowan in Washington, Dan Rather at the White House, Ike Pappas in Memphis, Bill Plant in Memphis, Peter Burns in Atlanta, John Hart in Cleveland, and Bert Quint in Quezon, South Vietnam. Good evening. The body of Dr. Martin Luther King was returned to his home in Atlanta today as authorities in Memphis expressed confidence that his slayer soon will be captured. President Johnson appealed nationally for calm, asking all citizens to deny violence its victory. Nevertheless, the murder sent a shock wave of violence rolling through the big cities of America, and the worst trouble was in Washington, virtually on the president's doorstep. Late today, the president declared a state of emergency and regular army troops moved into the nation's capital to protect strategic locations from the violence spreading through the city. Steve Rowan reports. A stiff breeze fanned the flames of more than half a dozen fires set by looters along 7th Street. And the wind quickly dispersed the tear gas used by police in their only attempts to stop the looting. The looters were mostly young Negro men and women, as well as boys down to the age of six or seven. They hit the liquor stores first, then went for clothing stores, appliance stores, and other shops. They roamed back and forth across 7th Street, unhindered by the police, cheering as another plate glass window caved in, laughing at each other as they emerged with armloads of loot. There was little talk of Martin Luther King, just an occasional bitter remark from someone, usually someone not involved in the looting, about the white so-and-so who shot the civil rights leader. A few of them were arrested, usually, when they ran into the arms of officers with their loot. And as the afternoon wore on, they stripped just about every store along an eight-block stretch of the street taking more than they could ever use themselves, discarding what didn't fit or wasn't the right color on the sidewalks outside. Half a dozen police cars stood by, and from time to time, a few of the officers would put on their gas masks, take a few canisters of tear gas, and walk up the street, chasing the looters away for a few minutes. But as soon as they passed, the looting continued. From the air, the scene looked unreal. A row of fires in the middle of an otherwise tranquil city. But everyone knows that this city is not tranquil, that a flare-up of violence has been threatening for years. And Mayor Walter Washington moved this afternoon to prevent real violence, real bloodshed, by imposing a curfew on Washington from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. This was to have been the weekend for Washington's Cherry Blossom Festival. But all the events of that annual celebration were canceled. 
A few Negroes complained of police violence, but there was little of it. The officers did take a number of Negroes into police custody, arrested them in the act of looting. As the afternoon wore on, one policeman took off his gas mask, looked around and asked if the National Guard had been called. We need them, he said. We can't hold this tonight. We're losing. And indeed, the city of Washington lost much this afternoon. But the troops were called in late in the day, arriving near the White House, from which point they'll fan out. Steve Rowan, CBS News, Washington. The violence was by no means limited to Washington. Detroit tonight is under a curfew, and National Guard troops are on duty there. Guardsmen also have been mobilized in Chicago, where five blocks of predominantly Negro West Madison Avenue were reported to fire, and where looting broke out in the downtown Loop area. And in Boston, where a menacing crowd of young Negroes kept customers trapped in a supermarket for a time, the Guard also is on duty in three cities in North Carolina and two in Tennessee. Last night or today, racial trouble also broke out in such widespread locations as Denver, Colorado, Oakland, California, and Buffalo, New York. At least four persons have been killed in the outbursts and countless more injured or arrested. Black and Decker dealers are having a special spring sale. Huh? There are irresistible values on jigsaws that cut wood, metal, and plastic. There are big savings on circular saws that do anything a hand saw can do. Better, faster. Oh, come on. There are special deals on dual-action sanders for finishing and refinishing beautifully. Oh, that's better. The Black & Decker label assures you of the finest power tools made. Spring will be a little great this Hi. year. For Cousin Tom, for Uncle Don, for your boss. Men who work with power tools know, for value, performance, and service, you can expect the best from Black & Decker. The crisis in race relations shoved the Vietnam War into the background at the White House today, and President Johnson devoted almost all his time to the problem. CBS News White House correspondent Dan Rather reports. The president canceled plans for a Vietnam strategy conference in Honolulu. General Westmoreland will be in Washington tomorrow instead. Mr. Johnson requested a joint session of Congress for Monday night to discuss civil justice. He proclaimed Sunday a national day of mourning and prayer. These actions followed in rapid succession a White House meeting this morning. The president and 21 of the nation's best-known civil rights leaders. Dr. King's father was invited but could not attend. He sent word he joined the president in calling for law and order. The assembled civil rights leaders went with the president to a memorial service at National Cathedral. The cathedral memorial service was packed. The president's mood was somber and serious all day, before, during, and after his appearance at the cathedral.
Back at the White House, Mr. Johnson met again with the civil rights leaders, Chief Justice Warren and House Speaker McCormick included. Negro leaders stated bluntly what they thought should be done, rapid, positive civil rights legislation and spending. The president said bluntly that a continuation of divisiveness and violence would be nothing less than a national catastrophe. The dream of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. has not died with him. Men who are white, men who are black, must and will now join together, as never in the past, to let all the forces of divisiveness know that America shall not be ruled by the bullet, but only by the ballot of free and of just men. Shortly after the president spoke, black smoke from riot fires in downtown Washington drifted over the White House and its half-mast flag. Dan Rather, CBS News, at the White House. Attorney General Ramsey Clark in Memphis said the murder appears to have been the work of one man and there is no evidence of conspiracy. Without elaboration, he said the investigation has spread several hundred miles beyond Tennessee and authorities are very close to an arrest. The fatal shot came from a boarding house across the street from the hotel balcony where Dr. King was standing alone last night. This photograph was made Wednesday. The landlady described the suspect as a white man who registered as John Willard and who had what she described as a silly smile I'll never forget. For film reports, we go to Ike Pappas and Bill Plant in Memphis and Peter Burns in Atlanta. First, Pappas. Eyewitnesses to the assassination say that Dr. King left his room, 306, at the Lorraine Hotel just before dinner to get some air. He walked over to the railing at this spot, and noticing some friends below, he leaned over and began to speak with them. Police say 205 feet away, in a window in a flop house, the assassin waited, leaning forward to brace his arms on the window ledge to steady his rifle. And this was his view. He fired a single shot that hit its target squarely, and then he ran. Down the hallway and along the decrepit stairs turning, he raced out to the street. And as one policeman said, he simply faded. Just at 8 this morning, Dr. Martin Luther King's body was brought to Lyon State for an hour. Hundreds paid their respects during that brief hour. They were old. They were dressed for work. They were almost all black. And for some of them, the experience was just too much. <laughs> Reverend Ralph Abernathy, Dr. King's closest friend in life. Even forevermore, I am the resurrection. And the light, says the Lord. I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. The Lord gave. And the Lord hath taken away. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. The plane had come from Atlanta bearing Mrs. King. There were police and National Guardsmen at the airport with rifles and shotguns and riot sticks to hold back the crowd of newsmen and spectators. After some delay, the casket was placed aboard for the last journey home to Atlanta. And late today, a judge in Memphis approved the march which Martin Luther King had planned to lead next Monday. Bill Plant, CBS News, Memphis. Militants and non-militants stood quietly as Dr. King's wife and four children left the plane for a limousine. The rains had stopped just before the plane arrived. Mayor Allen led the motorcade from the airport through downtown Atlanta to a funeral home just a few blocks from the gold-domed state capitol. And another crowd of 500 waited there. Mrs. King took the children into the home. She met with friends and family to make plans for the funeral. His brother, Reverend A.D. King, came here from Louisville. The acting president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, Reverend Ralph Abernathy, spoke to the people. He, he was a man that did not believe in violence. He believed in nonviolence. Yes, sir. He lived this, he preached this, and this is the way he died. Family sources indicate that funeral services will probably be held on Tuesday in Dr. King's father's church here. Peter Burns, CBS News, Atlanta. With the death of Dr. King, his longtime aide and close friend, the Reverend Ralph Abernathy, becomes head of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Abernathy pledged today to continue to follow the non-violent philosophy that dominated Dr. King's civil rights activity. Yum, yum, yum. Cool Whip. It's new. The first modern topping with that good old-fashioned taste. Comes with. In its own little bowl. It keeps in the refrigerator, ready to serve. All Whip. Has lots less calories than whipped cream you make. New. From Bird's Eye. Cool Whip. Try it. It's the first modern topping with that good old-fashioned taste. Chris Gaynor is never going to be fat. Fat is the end of roses and phone calls and the groovy world of 4 a.m. Fat is the end of life. That's why Chris watches the scales and eats dessert for dessert. Nine calories, sweetened without sugar. Wonderful desserted gelatin. Made by the Jello people for people who love dessert but can't stand the calories. Skip dessert? Ridiculous. Just make dessert desserta. Mrs. Jacqueline Kennedy issued an especially poignant statement saying, I weep for Mrs. King and for her children for this senseless, senseless act of hate. And she prayed that the price Dr. King paid, quote, will make room in people's hearts for love, not hate. In Cleveland, her brother-in-law, Senator Robert Kennedy, also spoke with a special sense of loss. John Hart reports. There was no campaign today. But Senator Kennedy, who had publicly remembered his brother was killed by a white man, wanted to talk about what he said were the terrible truths of our existence. At the Cleveland City Club, Mrs. Kennedy was with him as he spoke of a mindless menace of violence. Some look for scapegoats. Others look for conspiracies. 
But this much is clear. Violence breeds violence. Repression breeds retaliation. And only a cleansing of our whole society can remove this sickness from our souls. Earlier, thousands of people gathered outside and in the Old Stone Church of Cleveland for a memorial prayer service. Mayor Carl Stokes asked for a continuing. You can kill a man, but you cannot kill an idea. And the idea and the ideals for which Dr. Martin Luther King stood, for which he lived, and for which he died, will continue to live in this country. We'll continue to live in this city. And despite the sorrow upon under which all of us today feel so heavy, there will on the morrow be a resurgence of the confidence that he was right and that we will overcome. was a mixture of sorrow, regret, and concern over what might happen next. Condolences came from presidents, kings, and other heads of state. Pope Paul appealed for calm and said he was profoundly grieved. Britain's parliament expressed horror at what it called this brutal and senseless murder. The Soviet newspaper Esvestia condemned America as a country of violence and racism. Black power advocate Stokely Carmichael, who was very much in evidence last night when trouble started in Washington, today called upon Negroes to avenge Dr. King's death. We have to retaliate, he told a news conference, and the place for that retribution will be in the streets. The House Rules Committee postponed action on the Senate-passed Civil Rights Bill today after failing to muster a quorum. Twenty House Republicans have urged immediate enactment of the bill, bottled up in committee in an argument over whether a compromise should be sought on the measure's strong open housing provision. Longshoremen closed down Atlantic, Great Lakes, and Gulf ports today as a one-day tribute to Dr. King. In a similar move, the National Maritime Union urged its 55,000 member seamen to stay off the job until tomorrow afternoon. The AFL-CIO plans to send a delegation Monday to march in Memphis and another to Dr. King's funeral. Remember? Remember when smoking a reduced tar and nicotine cigarette made you feel all alone in the world? Well, not today. Things have changed. You're not alone anymore. Today 
today, more and more people smoke true filter cigarettes because true satisfies. Satisfies with good taste and reduced tar and nicotine. True filter cigarettes. With the air filtration system, the good feel of a built-in mouthpiece, the good taste, and reduced tar and nicotine. With or without menthol. Shouldn't your brand be true? A strongly worded statement by North Vietnam today may complicate current efforts to arrange talks between Hanoi and Washington. CBS News correspondent Charles Collingwood, reporting from Hanoi, says the official government newspaper has called the partial bombing halt insufficient. The North Vietnamese, he said, now appear to be again demanding an end to all air and naval attacks against the North as evidence that Washington really is interested in negotiations. Earlier this week, you'll recall, Hanoi said it would be willing to talk about a complete halt to the bombing. That position was endorsed by the Soviet Union today, but Red China denounced the new round of peace efforts as just another American hoax arranged with Russia's cooperation. Peking said there was only one course for the Vietnamese communists, go on fighting. South Vietnam's President Thieu said today he does not think Hanoi is really serious about peace talks. But he said if there are genuine negotiations, his government, and not the United States, will have to play the principal role. Saigon observers said Thieu's remarks underlined his regime's concern that any talks might set off a succession of peace moves that would end with U.S. withdrawal from Vietnam. In the war, a 20,000-man Allied relief force took more of the pressure off Quezon today by occupying some of the high ground around the Marine outpost. The Allied com column met little resistance in moving within a mile of Quezon. But without giving any reason, their commanders made no immediate attempt to link up with the Marines inside. During the day, a contingent of Quezon Marines beat back a communist attack on Hill 471, which was taken from the enemy yesterday. In the latest action, 74 North Vietnamese and seven Americans were reported killed. CBS News correspondent Bert Quint was at Quezon when the Marines started out for Hill 471, and here is his report. Some of Quezon's Marines are beginning to leave their positions, but it's not the retreat that was feared for so long. For the first time since the siege began on January 21st, the Marines are going on the offensive. It's not very much of an offensive yet, but it is the beginning of the participation of this barren outpost in Operation Pegasus, which is meant to take the pressure off of the men dug in here. It is starting with the 1st Battalion of the 9th Marines, 1,200 of the 6,000 men at Quezon. They have been clinging to the southeastern slope of Quezon, and like their buddies all over the plateau, have been taking a murderous pounding day after day, night after night, and have been able to do little about it except hide in their bunkers. Now they've been chosen to make the first offensive move off of Quezon since the North Vietnamese came into the area in force. Major Donnelly, your men will be moving out soon. Where are you off to? Uh, we're off to Hill 471, uh, just to the south of us here. Uh, a ridge line that runs as an extension of this hill we're on. Uh, what is the object? Uh, the objective is to take and uh, hold the high ground around Hill 471. Uh, and destroy the enemy as we go down there. Is this to give cover uh, to the army troops that are coming this way? Uh, we haven't really been told this, uh, but uh, it might fit in what I little I have heard about the big plan. The fact that the Marines are beginning to venture out does not mean that the siege of Quezon is over. The enemy is still out there. 
The pace has slowed, but there's still a lot of firing going on. Over the last few days, most of it has been outgoing, but it's not all that way. Last week, about 500 rounds came in every day to Quezon and a few of the surrounding hills held by the Marines. There's no question about it. The North Vietnamese are still out there. How many of them are left, and whether or not they'll choose to stand and fight, it's impossible to say. But if they do decide to make a fight of it, then Quezon's defenders won't be able to breathe easily for quite a while yet. Bert Quint, CBS News, at Quezon. The United States today formally gave back to Japan, Iwo Jima, and other islands in the Bonin group that were captured from the Japanese in World War II. The transfer was the outgrowth of an agreement reached in talks last year between President Johnson and Prime Minister Sato. The Japanese still are pressing for the return of Okinawa, site of a big U.S. Strategic Air Command base. Prices declined on the New York Stock Exchange and apparent apprehension over racial violence and the unsettled Vietnam situation. Volume was 12,600,000 shares. The exchange index lost 27 cents. Here's a Purina dog child vitamin, and here's a Purina dog child mineral, and here's one for making tails grow and for a big bark. <laughs> and here's some for all the rest of you. And it got all the things you need but love. I wonder why they keep leaving out the love. For you who hold a cat tenderly, Purina announces seven new variety meals, numbered on the outside, appetizing on the inside. Breathe easy. Aromas so pleasant you'll thank goodness for Purina quality. Tastes so tempting your cat will thank Purina for goodness. A complete week's variety menu, new from Purina. <laughs> Now to Washington and Eric Severide for some thoughts on the lessons and legacy of Martin Luther King's life and death. Eric? We have all been told that we live in a bland and cautious time and are bereft of heroes. We have been told that our generation is as embarrassed in the presence of the noble as our ancestors were embarrassed in the presence of the base. The life of Martin Luther King denies the first assumption. The reaction to his death denies the second. Almost surely, he was the most important American of his time, white or black. He, more than any other man, wielded the cutting edge of history for this time and place. He preached love, so hate, of course, destroyed him, as it destroyed 2,000 years ago the man whose gospel he followed, as it destroyed 20 years ago in India the man whose strategies he adopted. Saints are usually killed by their own people. Dr. King was not. He was not an American Negro. He was a Negro American. As Dr. Abernathy once said of King, he seeks to save the nation and its soul, not just the Negro. King grasped the white man by his shoulder, forced him to turn around, and looked long and hard upon his fellow black American. To some, the sight was frightening. To many others, the landscape of our lives looked richer and full of much greater promise. There are those who proclaim that white society killed Dr. King. Democracy cannot function under such a theory. To blame everyone is to blame no one. Only the Hitlers of this world and their spiritual kin, like young Mr. Carmichael, believe in mass guilt and in genocide as justice. There are those who proclaim that this is a sick society. 
It is a society containing many sick individuals, white and black, including the moral invalid who fired the shot last night. It is doubtful if this nation has ever before gone into officially proclaimed mourning, its flags everywhere at half-staff, over the death of a private citizen, and this man was a descendant of slaves. This is not the reaction of a sick society, but of a fundamentally healthy society trying desperately to cleanse itself of the one chronic persistent poison in its body. So the label on his life must not be a long day's journey into night. It must be a long night's journey into day. Walter. CBS News will present a special half-hour report, Assassination and Aftermath, later tonight over many of these stations. And that's the way it is. Friday, April 5th, 1968. This is Border Ground Guide, CBS News. Good night. Will you see that stalled car in time? Welcome back. And, uh, of course, uh, that was uh, the CBS News evening news for April 5th, 1968. And, of course, you can hear the narrative of no conspiracy. Uh, America is not a sick society. We're here 54 years later and, of course, uh, facing similar challenges that uh, Dr. King and the Civil Rights Movement and other forces uh, faced uh, five, five and a half, six decades ago. So we're going to be winding down our program uh, for today, uh, the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast uh, can be accessed. Uh, If you want to listen to this program again or share with other potential listeners, just go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. And if you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. And uh, we're going to be closing out uh, with the music uh, of uh, Wes Montgomery and, of course, along uh, with uh, his brothers and others uh, in a 1960 album entitled Montgomery Land. This is Abayomi Azikawe signing off and have a beautiful week.
Thank you. 